Welcome to Lasting Truth, a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel, Sweet Hills in Banning, California, where Pastor Ryan Hussein teaches the entire Word of God, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, giving our listeners the opportunity of receiving the full counsel of God. Today we are studying in the book of 1 Chronicles, chapter 10. Here's Pastor Ryan. Turn with me in your Bibles this evening to 1 Chronicles. First Chronicles, a new book. And give me an amen once you are there. We're actually going to be beginning in chapter 10. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace, your love, and your mercy. We're thankful that you're always here for us, Lord God. That every day we can come before you, the true living God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And receive help from you every day of our lives to live the life that you want us to live. Lord, we thank you for our church. We thank you for this place. We thank you for all who have come. We ask, Father, that you would open up our hearts to receive your word this evening. Speak to us. Holy Spirit, may you do a work that only you can do. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So, Father, bless your word. Strengthen me and um, touch hearts. May it be all of you and none of me. In Jesus' name we pray, and together we say, Amen. All right, so First Chronicles. As you know, we just finished First and Second Kings, and that was a, a long and a wonderful time in those books. Uh, First and Second Kings, as you know, were a historical record of the kings of Israel and of Judah. And the emphasis of First and Second Kings is really the same emphasis as First and Second Chronicles. It's the dynasty of King David. There are many kings, but King David is and was the, the man after God's own heart, the one great king of Israel. And so the emphasis is on his dynasty, his lineage, because... As you know, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, was going to come from his bloodline. But it wasn't just his bloodline. It goes back uh, to the beginning. And so genealogies in the Bible are important because it proves that Jesus Christ is the rightful heir of the eternal throne of heaven and Israel. And so... Genealogies in the Bible are important because of that reason. As you know, First and Second Chronicles is a lot of the same stories, but with a different point of view. And it's not just a repeat of the stories that we've already read. It's a different point of view. It's one that emphasizes really the priestly and the, and the spiritual role of uh, David's dynasty and how all of that... Uh, points to the Lord and so it's a bit different my wife doesn't like it when I disclose certain things but I will disclose it because Paul the Apostle said when I came to you the Corinthian church I came not to you in strength but in weakness and so yesterday I had one of the craziest migraines ever and it lasted till this morning so for any of you who know what that's like I deal with migraines from time to time so and the medicine wipes you out. So pray for me as I get through this. And so God is good all the time. And I find 
times like this, I'm learning to find them to be a tremendous blessing because it proves that God is wanting to do a tremendous work in our lives, in our church, through my life. It's encouraging, actually. You should see some of the warfare that we've been dealing with. And there's that balance of when do I pull the trigger and give it to my assistant pastor to teach for me. And I think if I'm not contagious, I'm just going to try to barrel through because I feel the Lord has something for me to say to you guys tonight. But if Paul discloses that, then I have no problem disclosing it to you. It was a rough one yesterday. But God is good. First and Second Chronicles, it is a different view, guys. Um, it's not the, uh, like just a repeat of what uh, we have read in First and Second Kings. So it's a tremendous blessing because we're going to get a different like editorial view, like just a, a different view of the things that we have already studied. They are divine books. It's a beautiful continuation of a historical work of the kings of Israel. And the theme of Chronicles, again, like I said, is uh, King David's lineage uh, toward the Messiah. Jesus, when he walked around healing in Galilee, was often referred to as Jesus, the son of David. They would cry out to him, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The blind men would cry out and he healed so many. But that's a very beautiful messianic title because he was of the lineage of David. And these books, that's what they're pointing towards. That's where the focus is being channeled to. First and Second Chronicles, like First and Second Kings, was one book at one time. In the beginning, it was written in Hebrew, and it was written in one book. But eventually, it was split, perhaps to simplify things. It was a large book. We're not sure why it was split, but the first evidences of the book being split was in 200 BC, when the Septuagint was written, when the Old Testament was translated from Hebrew to Greek, that's when history first sees this book divided. Amen? The original uh, Hebrew name for Chronicles was Debere Hayamim, meaning the words of the days. When the Septuagint was made, they called it in Greek, Paralepomemim. You got that? You write that? <laughs> Did you write that down? meaning of things omitted, of things omitted. So really beautiful uh, titles, the words of the days or the events of these days or the things that were omitted from 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, and 2 Kings. And again, it's the, it's the same period of history. So as we're reading First and Second Chronicles, it's the f same time period as First and Second Kings and of 2 Samuel. Most scholars believe that the writer of the Chronicles was written by the prophet Ezra at around the time of the return of the Jews from captivity in Babylon. So most believe it was Ezra's writing. If you read the book of Ezra, he's writing a history of the return of the captives from the Babylonian Empire. When we finish 2 Kings, we know that the southern kingdom of Judah was taken into captivity and it would be for 70 years in Babylon. Most scholars believe it was Ezra who wrote this and that he wrote it around the time when the Jews returned from their 70-year captivity. Most scholars believe that it's Ezra, but it can be proven. So if you think it's someone else, that's fine. But most scholars believe it's Ezra because of the stylistic 
similarities in his book and of these writings. Um, often the writer is referred to as the chronicler. Isn't that cool? The chronicler. Because they, we don't really know if it was Ezra. But we know that whoever wrote it um, was meticulous, a meticulous historian who wrote or who, who, who referenced many other books that were around at the time. In various places of First Chronicles, it'll mention these references. The chronicler says the book of the annals of King David, for instance. The books of the annals of King David. The book of the kings of Judah and Israel. The annals of king of the kings of Israel. The records of Samuel. Samuel who? The prophet. The records of Nathan, the prophet. So he uses references. Whoever the writer is, we think it's Ezra. He uses lots of references. So it just shows that he did his homework. He knows what's going on. And it's just a tremendous book. Chapters 1 through 9 deals with genealogies. Genealogies, like I said, are important to the Bible because they point us to Jesus. Jesus it must be proven that Jesus came from the bloodline of, from Adam to Abraham, Abraham to David, all the way down to Mary. Amen? So they're important for that very reason. So chapters 1 and 9 deals with the genealogies of Israel. Um, and again, the heritage of the Jews, it makes it extremely important because of the Messiah coming through them. Chapter 1 deals with the patriarchal genealogies, right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Chapter, in chapter 2, it deals with the genealogy of Judah, which was the fourth son of Jacob. The fourth son, but that yet... The Bible speaks of him before the other sons because Jesus comes from the tribe of Judah. Amen. Chapter 3 deals with the genealogy of David. Chapter 4 with the genealogy of Judah again. Chapter 5 with the genealogy of the Transjordian tribes, the tribes that settled on the, on the east side of uh, the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan, which was half-tribe Manasseh and so forth. Uh, chapter 6 dealt with the genealogy of Levi, the genes of Levi. Chapter 7 with the genealogies of the six northern tribes. In chapter 8 with the genealogy of Benjamin. In chapter 9 with the genealogy of Jerusalem and the genealogy of Saul. Chapters 10 through 29 deals all with the reign of King David. So again, we're going to get to study the life of King David mostly in this book. So it's the genealogies, the heritage of the Jews leading to the Messiah. And all about David because the Messiah comes through who? Through David. The Babylonians were brutal to their captives, as we've touched on when we were dealing with them. They would take their conquered peoples, nations, and mix them around with other peoples so that these, these conquered people would lose their national identity. So to keep the Jewish genealogy during that time was a very serious thing because again the Messiah would come from their line amen who they were meant so much it validated who they were it was the validity of who they were their heritage as God's chosen people from which the Messiah would come and save the world knowing who they were the Jews would find great confidence they would find comfort knowing 
that they're God's chosen from the tribe of so forth, the tribe of so forth, from the tribe of so forth. One of the words, or I should say the word that is most used in chapter 1 is son. Is son. Are you open to chapter 1? You are not, right? Let's turn there. Just really quick. Verse, it says, Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kalinan, Mahalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The sons of Japheth were, and go down to verse 8, what does it say? The sons of Ham were, go down to 17, what does it say? The sons of Shem, go uh, to 32, now the sons born to Ketherah. So you see the sons of the sons of the sons of. This brought confidence to them. This brought comfort to the Jews, knowing who they were, who they are. For when we do not know where we came from or who we are, it is difficult to go forward. Would you agree? If we don't know where we came from, we don't know who we are, it's difficult to move forward, to be blessed. I think about the days that we're living in and how Ancestry.com is such a popular site. Everyone wants to know, who, you know, where they come from. You know, what, where, where does the bloodline go? You know, I'm part this, part that. And, and I, get, I get the intrigue to that. I've often thought to myself, I would like to know, you know, what I am. Because as someone who doesn't really know much about who, <laughs> who they are or where they come from, you know, growing up without a father. And when my father left, it wasn't like he left when I was like three or four or ten. He left from birth. You know, I grew up that way and then I had a stepfather and a broken home. My mother wasn't interested in my life. And so, who am I? Well, I belong to Jesus Christ. But I'm so blown away at how God called me to pastor Yet I come from a, from a background of not knowing my ancestry too much. I did talk to my, my father a couple times. I did do his funeral. I did, you know, there was some interaction later. Very few, maybe about four times altogether in my life. But the first thing I asked was, where, where do I come from? What's Hussein all about? He said I was Lebanese. I have an older sister from, from him. She said I was Lebanese. I talked to his brother on Hawaii. And he says, no, bro, we're Palestinian. <laughs> so, you know, but their mother, my grandmother, was full-blooded Hawaiian. And, they, and my father was raised by his Hawaiian mother. So they're all hawaiian out. And the Hussein, his father took off on him when he was a child as well. So, I don't know much. And that's okay. So, there's that saying that we use in this world. He comes from a good family. Right? He comes from a good family. She comes from a good family. But what if they don't? What if they don't come from a good family? What hope for them is in God? The beautiful thing about God, why I love him so much, is because he's the God of the fatherless. It says in his word, when your mother and father forsake you, then the Lord will be your help. 
You see, Jesus Christ didn't just die on the cross for our sins, but he died to make us sons and daughters, to make us family. Church isn't just a place where people get saved, it's a place where people get adopted. So Ancestry.com, I looked it up and it's all right here. I come from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You need to know where you're from. And there are Christians today who struggle because they, they, either, they come from bad families, broken homes, kind of the same background I did. Maybe you've, you came from a two-parent home. Maybe you came from a, a, a place of, you know, you had family, but, but there was something wrong. There's something wrong with that, and there's something wrong in your life, and you need to know tonight that God loves you, that he came to adopt you as his own. We cannot choose our heritage. I couldn't, you know, God didn't ask me, when I was born in Los Angeles, you're going to be Mexican, Hawaiian, Arabic. Like, I didn't ask. He just, it happened. And you know, you, our heritage is in Christ. And we need to be confident in that. Like, your self-worth cannot be in, oh, well, my father, my grandfather, my, my mother, my grandmother, and all. It's fine if you have good examples, Good family, that's a wonderful thing, but not everybody has it. And in today's day, less and less people are, are being raised with fathers. That's a problem with crime in the poor neighborhoods. And jail and all of those things. It's, fatherlessness is the biggest problem. So there's a lot of people who feel outcasted, like God doesn't love them because a neighbor, a friend, has mom, dad, aunts, uncles, cousins, family, love, support, and, and you feel like you're left out. That's how I felt coming into a situation in life like job interviews and career choices and what am I going to do with my life? How am I going to make a living? Who am I going to get married to? All of those things are harder for he or she who does not have family support. End of story. Family, even if they're poor but they support you, is such a beautiful thing. Support, love is the greatest motivator to do well. Love, family. And when you don't have that, there's a lot who don't have that. Maybe you do have a mom and dad and you, they're not interested. There's no contact, there's no calling. They, they, you know, whatever it is, God loves you. God knows where you're at, who you are. And he's chose you and I since the foundations of the world. He, he knew us when we were being formed in our mother's womb. How beautiful is that? You know, I lived many, many years, 20, almost 24 years of being miserable, of having no earthly heritage, no earthly inheritance. And the Bible says that he relieves the fatherless and the widow. Relieves. You know, relief, relief. It's cold for the fatherless. It's cold for the orphan. It's a cold world. It is. Getting your information secondhand. You know, there's no one going to you to give you that love, that information, asking how you are. You know, there's a lot of pain that people have because of lack of uh, parents, lack of an earthly inheritance or, or heritage. But none of that matters once we find Jesus because he becomes our father. And you have to know that, guys. If not, you'll never be content as a Christian. You'll never be healed from the pain of the past if you are not content with Jesus today. You know, Satan wants to just, you know, 
pigeonhole us into being fatherless, unwanted, motherless, whatever it is. But God, you know, that's what he came for. He came to be our father. He came to make us his children. He came to give us an inheritance not made with hands. I mean, I just cannot believe how good God is. And my life, my early life was miserable. Miserable. Not for one year. We're talking years. We're talking till I joined a gang at 15. And why would I be so stupid to do that? I had, I had lost all hope. I, had not, I didn't care about myself. I knew there was mean people that I wanted to punch in the face really bad. And so I did it. Until God rescued me. And that's what he does. So genealogies, have fun with it. If you can go on Ancestry.com and find out that your great, 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 great grandfather was a king and a warrior that uh, freed some island in the South Pacific or something. Who knows, you know? Maybe I'm related to King Kamehameha. <laughs> I don't know. I'm related to Jesus. That's all that matters. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Holy Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then, then an heir of God through Christ. So as a son or daughter, he gives us the Holy Spirit to dwell in us. People say, oh, blood is thicker than water. Well, how thick is the Spirit of God that comes from heaven into this messed up vessel to renew my mind and re re regenerate me and give me a new life? That's crazy. And for eternity, God's grace and glory is going to be praised out of your life and my life as we're in heaven. And people are going to say, I cannot believe it. Look at, look at this person in heaven yeah, I didn't come from a bad family I mean I came from a bad family but now I'm from a good family and that's how I married a good girl from Pretty World who was a sinner just like me but her sins were not as out, outward as mine were and so let's go to chapter 10 and begin we can't choose our heritage but can we choose our legacy what, what are we going to leave? I'm building my children's legacy. I'm building it. I have a library full of books that can help them. They get to see Papa pray in the backyard. They get to see him prepare messages in his office. They get to see him serve God's people. That's a legacy. I mean, my, nothing would give me greater joy than to see my kids walk with the Lord. Period. All right, verse 1, chapter 10. And the reason why we're skipping all the chapters prior to it, you can read it before, it's because it's all the genealogies. The son of so forth, and the son of so forth, and the son of so forth, and the son of so forth. And we get to chapter 10, and then we begin with uh, the death of King Saul. We read in verse 1, Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines, 
and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. Then the Philistines followed hard after Saul, that's King Saul, the first king of Israel, and his sons. And the Philistines killed Jonathan, that's his son, David's friend, Abinadab, and Malchishua, Saul's sons. The battle became fierce against Saul. The archers hit him, and he was wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell on it. And then his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead. He also fell on his sword and died. So Saul and his three sons died. Thank you for joining us today at Lasting Truth Radio. If you're in the area, come out and join us for Sunday services at 10 a.m. or Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. We are located at 3035 West Nicolette Street in Banning. You can also find us on YouTube or Instagram. If you would like to donate to our program, please do so on our website at ccsweethills.org and just hit the online giving tab. We hope you will continue to tune in as we journey through the entire Word of God with the teaching of Pastor Ryan Hussein at Calvary Chapel, Sweet Hills. Chapin, above.